Good morning. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, last book of the New Testament, chapter 3. The book of Revelation is not hard to understand if you only read the first three chapters. book being written by John, who's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, on the island of Patmos where he has been exiled. There he has an incredible spiritual experience where he sees the Lord Jesus Christ in his resurrected state as our Savior and Lord in the midst of worship, and he begins to dictate to him seven letters to the messengers or the leaders of seven specific local churches in the region known as Asia Minor, that is what we call today Turkey or Eurasia, Turkey is in Europe and Asia. And today we're going to look at the church in the community called Laodicea, which was kind of an exotic town, had a river running through it, actually kind of like two rivers. It was the River Lycos. Uh, primo place to live. Cicero lived there. That's where he did some of his writing. Uh, a leisurely place. Kind of reminds me of what Granbury, it may have been like what Granbury is like. Beginning with verse 15, the Lord says to them, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were hot or cold. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, we all want to be on fire for the Lord, don't we? But it is possible to cool off and yet be... Christian, just enough to be immune to the real thing. Who knows what I'm talking about? How you get inoculated. You get just enough of a disease to become immune to the real thing. In the old days, I believe, they gave you cowpox to make you immune to smallpox. Just enough of the form of godliness to make you immune to the real thing. This is the lukewarm condition, which is not pleasing to the Lord. He says he will spit us out. He will vomit us out. He will puke us out if we are lukewarm. He'd rather have us hot or cold. Some theologians compare being cold to being cold spiritually and to be a a person who's a total unbeliever. And to be hot is to be a person who's a fully devoted believer on fire for the Lord and being lukewarm is somewhere in the middle. Other theologians determine this to mean that we are to be a blessing wherever we go in the mouth of God. And there's nothing like a cold drink of cold water on a hot day or a hot drink of of hot tea or coffee on a cold day. But lukewarm beverages refresh no one. And because we have no salt or no strength in our conviction, And in our faith, our works are haphazard, halfway, uh, limp-wristed, apathetic. They bring no pleasure to God. It goes on to say, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. 
that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. The believers in Laodicea were a self-sufficient people, a people who were able to relax and take it easy because they had it going on. Now, no American believer would say he was rich because there's always one more dollar to be earned, amen? But in the eyes of the majority of the world, we are all of us filthy rich. And while we wouldn't say that, it is possible that our prosperity could cause us to relax and not pursue God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength as we are commanded to because we've got it going on. We heard the TV preacher say, you're blessed, you're blessed, just relax and enjoy it. You are blessed, and yet there is an urgent need in the world for an on-fire church to make a difference. Can I get an amen, somebody? And so in our blessed state of prosperity, it is possible to be poor spiritually and not know it. In our comfortable position, it is possible to be naked, blind, miserable, and wretched spiritually, and have no idea. So the Lord brings this correction. Hey, you don't have it going on, and I counsel you to come to me for what you need. This is an invitation to an intimate relationship. This is an invitation to come and receive those spiritual riches that only he can give, that all the things, the material uh, blessings in the world cannot give us because they're a poor substitute for the real spiritual riches that are available to us in Christ. Notice he said, because you say I am rich, I have become wealthy. I have need of nothing. To me, it speaks of self-sufficiency. There's just an attitude of the heart that creates lukewarmness where we're not dependent upon the Lord like we should be. Then verse 19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke, that is, I command it, stop, and chasten, that is, I discipline. He doesn't discipline us to the point that we are laying on the floor blubbering idiots in a puddle of nothingness, having been destroyed, but his discipline is redemptive. He's calling us to a higher walk. He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. This church said that they were something that they were not. They said they were rich and they weren't. They were wealthy and they weren't. They had need of nothing and it was not true. My question for us today is, are you who you say you are you? Who you say you are you? Who you say you are you? Who you say you are? An unending question seriously asked are you truly blessed are you truly pleasing god are you truly who you say you are the believers in laodicea were not who they say they were they were actually lukewarm they were not on fire for god they were actually cooling off are you who you say you are here's a couple pictures of laodicea you can see it's a shambles today are you who you say you are matthew 7 verse 21 through 23 the lord jesus said to those listening to him at that day not everyone who says to me lord lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father in heaven 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He said, no one who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father in heaven. I love to cast out devils and to prophesy, to see signs and wonders done in the name of the Lord. But if it's not done in obedience to the will of the Father, it's nothing. It's just a show. It's all about doing God's will. Amen. If we don't do it, we'll be part of that group where he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 gives us this warning. But know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Is that statement true or false? It's true. For men will be lovers of themselves. Is that statement true or false? It's true. Let's read the rest of this and just answer whether it's true or false. Lovers of money, true. Boasters, true. Proud, true. Blasphemers, true. Disobedient to parents, oh boy, is that true. True. Unthankful, true. Unholy, true. Unloving, true. Unforgiving, true. Slanderers, true. Without self-control, true. Brutal, true. Despisers of good, boy, is that true, true. Traitors, true. Headstrong, true. Haughty, true. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh, how true it is. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, true. Oh, I'd like to thank the Oscar committee for giving me this Oscar, and I'd like to give all glory and praise to Jesus Christ for giving me the gift and the ability to act in this immoral film. The Bible says, from such people, we are to turn away. The danger of being lukewarm is you can become insensitive to sin. And some of these things we just read, of which are true of our day, could become part of our lifestyle and harm our witness and cloud our relationship with God and one another. Are we who we say we are? 94% of Americans in 2005 told the Gallup poll that they believed that God existed. Boy, that's sure not reflected in the life of the average American, is it? Just read the papers, watch the news. James 2.19 says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Believing that God exists makes no difference in the wickedness of man. In 2007, Gallup poll found out that 82% of Americans said they identify with the Christian faith. If that really was a true statement, I believe it would have an impact on our culture. Do you not believe? 
We wouldn't have the millions of people that we have in prison today if that was true. Titus 1.16 has this to say about our generation. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Our generation professes to know God, but in their works they really don't. Faith without works is dead. Amen. Pastor of LifeChurch.tv, Craig Groeschel, coined the term practical atheist, which he defines as someone who says he believes in God, but lives as though he does not exist. This truly does describe many so-called Christians. DC Talk on their Jesus Freak album had this to say. If you've ever heard it, you'll remember this. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, then walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is simply what an unbelieving world finds Unbelievable. In 1996, a man named Carl Sagan died. He was probably the finest communicator that atheists had in our culture and in our generation. In the 80s, he was part of promoting and producing and being very much in the center of a miniseries, the most watched miniseries on uh, PBS called The Cosmos. In the opening statements of the Cosmos films, Carl Sagan had this to say, which to me defines the foundation of atheism. Listen to this. Cosmos is all that is, or ever was, or ever will be. Our contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There's a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from a great height. We know we are approaching the grandest of mysteries. Did you hear it? The cosmos is all there is, all that is or ever was or ever will be. Our contemplations of the cosmos stir us. There is a tingling in the spine, a catch in the voice, a faint sensation as if a distant memory of falling from great height. We know we are approaching the grandest Mysteries. This, my friends, is the box of atheism. This is the limitation of their beliefs, which have the appearance of being large and grand, but in reality, it's a small reduction of what reality really is, a reduction of reality to something small like a box. 
Listen to the opening statement. The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. The cosmos is all that is. Speaking of the universe, what we would call the creation. The creation is all that is or ever was or ever will be. So we could take a box, a cube, and use it as a symbol to represent the cosmos. I'm holding it up here for those of you that are listening and pointing to this cube, my CD. This cube or this cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. The Christian faith teaches that that is not true. The Christian faith recognizes the reality of the cosmos, what we call the creation or the universe, the beauty of it, its grandeur, its awesomeness. But outside of the cosmos is an almighty God who is not limited to the cosmos, but he created it. And he is all that has ever been or ever will be. Anything else that exists is due to his creation and enablement to live and exist and continue to exist. This is what we call the transcendence of God, the transcendence of God. We sing a song where one of the lines is, God transcendent, there's no one like you. God is transcendent. He stands outside of creation in himself, in the being of his person. He is greater than the universe. And yet the Christian faith goes on to also believe that he lives within the cosmos, that he desires to relate to his creation within the cosmos, specifically his people, to have a relationship with us, and that that relationship would be something powerful and not lukewarm. Excuse me. Here's where some so-called Christians make a difference. They believe that God is outside the cosmos and that he's in the cosmos, but he's not really in the room with them. Oh, they wouldn't say that, but they live like the Misty Edwards song says, I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. They live as though God is not in the room with them. There's a tremendous lack in the world and in the church of what the Bible calls the fear or the respect of God. The recognition or the practicing of his presence, I believe, is at an all-time low in the American church. This, my friends, is lukewarmness. We need to do something about it, amen? Let's have a little comic relief here. Who knows what an oxymoron is? It's a term or a word or a coupling of words that seem to contradict each other. And yet we understand what they mean. Like hot water heater or governmental accountability (laughs) 
or Internal Revenue Service. (laughs) Central Intelligence. How about Microsoft Works? (laughs) The United Nations. Friendly Fire. Here's another one. Soft Rock. Like a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Mud Bath. But one of the greatest oxymorons in the Bible is lukewarm Christian. The two words really do not go together, do they not? And yet they describe us in so many ways. Jesus said in Revelation 3 to the church in Laodicea, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Are you cold or are you hot or are you lukewarm? You might be lukewarm if you care more about what people think than what God thinks. If you only really pray when there is some kind of emergency, you might be lukewarm. If your life is not so much different from the unbelieving world, you might be a lukewarm Christian. If you think more about your life on earth than about eternity in heaven, you might be a lukewarm Christian. If you will do whatever it takes to alleviate your guilt from asking for God's forgiveness without genuine repentance to denial and blame to religious exercises and good works. You're doing whatever it takes to avoid having to repent and to alleviate your guilt. You might be a lukewarm Christian. If you want salvation from the penalty of sin, but not from its power, you might be a lukewarm Christian. If you want Christ's comfort and blessings without being conformed to his character and purpose, you might be a lukewarm Christian. If you gauge your spiritual condition by comparing your condition with that of others who you deem worse off, you are a lukewarm Christian. If you do not have the joy of the Lord because you do not trust the Lord, you might be a lukewarm Christian. You know, a key to trusting someone is to know that someone. And to know the Lord requires time spent with the Lord. So if there's a shortage of His joy in your life, His joy is not based on our circumstances, but if there's a shortage of His joy in your life, it's due to a shortage of you you trusting Him. And if there's a shortage of you trusting Him, there's a shortage of knowing Him, which is only gleaned by spending time with Him. You cannot catch it by osmosis from the person you sit next to in church. Here's one that really gets me. I had to add it because it proved that there was lukewarmness going on in my life. If you are a full-time minister and a part-time Jesus follower, you are a lukewarm Christian. Last Monday, I went to a leadership conference expecting to hear strategies on how to be a better leader and We did hear some really good things. But that afternoon in the third session, I heard a man share from his own walk and his own life 
where he had found himself in the position of being a full-time ministry, part-time following of Jesus. And it hit me between the eyes. And when he gave the altar call, I moved forward. My heart was broken. How did this happen? How did I become majoring in my ministry and minoring in my walk with Jesus? How did this happen? It broke my heart. I wept. When I think about it, even now I could begin to cry. I'll tell you exactly how it happens. It happens slowly, but gradually, through not putting the Lord first. You want to overcome lukewarmness? Begin to put him first. However that means to you. Begin to put him first. It may be first thing in the morning, first thing before lunch, first thing before dinner, first thing before you go to bed, first thing before you get in your car, first thing when you get home, before you get out of your car. Put the Lord first and keep him there. Otherwise, lukewarmness will set in. Following Jesus will just become another hobby. He goes on to say, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. And every time I pray now where I'm able to spend some time with God, my heart just breaks and I weep over how did I get this way? And I'm on the journey to get back, to recover my first love, to come back to being on fire for the Lord. You may not realize, but this is a continuation of this same letter to the Laodiceans. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. The remedy for lukewarmness, the cure to be on fire for God is spending time with God. He is a consuming fire. You cannot spend time with him and not be changed. My question for you today is, are you who you say you are? Are we who we say we are? And Alice asked this to ourselves. Am I who I say I am? Sir Francis Drake prayed this prayer. I was amazed. I knew him as a pirate fighter, but I did not know that he was a man of God. He said, disturb us, Lord. Disturb us when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true because we have dreamed too little. When we arrive safely because we have sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord. When with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, We have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of land. We shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Am I who I say I am, Lord? Disturb me if I'm not. Don't leave me in a lukewarm condition.
In a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity for you to find a place to pray and to spend some time with God. And I encourage you not to rush away. If you must go, you are blessed. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may his will become clearer and clearer to you every day. And may you spend time with him every day as he enables you to get to know him more. May your heart break for any condition of lukewarmness in any area of your life. May he transform you beginning today. If you must go, you may go. But please realize that this transition in your walk with the Lord away from a lukewarm state isn't just getting things right, but it has everything to do with the future. His calling on your life to move you forward in progress for the plans that he has for you. I'm going to find a place to pray. Why don't you join me and let's seek the Lord together.